0: Hey everybody, my name is Alex, I'm coming at you straight from the perch, and this is Lunchbox Radio. So, before we get started, um, if you haven't listened to the previous Sunday edition, which is about anime as a mirror in the same way that art is a mirror of life and reality, you don't, I'm not going to say you need to go watch it, but it ties in with, need to go listen to it, but it ties in with this episode pretty heavily. Um, so you might want to. It's super easy. It's not... I, bl- I think it's like 23 minutes, so it's not a huge commitment. But um, that is in the feed of the podcast. Um, and you can find it wherever you are listening to me right now. And on that note, without <laughs> any delay, let's get to what will probably be a pretty long... Not... not It might be a pretty long meditation on my thoughts on this show because of exactly what it is. And that show is Attack on Titan. Now, for those of you who have been following Attack on Titan from the beginning and made it to the end, you—I <laughs> don't need to worry about you. You're watching it week to week. You've stuck through the like interminable amount of time between the first and second seasons that was just just poorly thought out um, because they wanted to go make Attack on Trains instead in the form of combinator of the Iron Fortress. But if you haven't been following Attack on Titan, and you've been waiting for it to finish, you might not want to listen to this, because this is going to be a very spoilerific, heavy thing, since I did something that I am... I'm not necessarily loath to do with anime. I do it about as often as any anime fan does, in that I binged this whole damn thing in about three weeks. (laughs) I watched nothing but this for three weeks. And who does that put you in a headspace? And we're going to talk about why it puts you in a headspace in a minute. But just I want a nice big fat spoiler warning in this because I'll be talking about specific plot points, about specific character arcs, that kind of stuff, along with just the overall like guiding principles of the show. And, on that note, you've been warned, spoiler warning, from this point forward, it's no whole bar. Like, at, at at the time of this listening, we are up to memories of the future, I will be talking about the show up to that point. And actually beyond, because I have seen, I've like seen spoilers from the manga, all that stuff. So, that's that. Said, Let's get into it. So, in the very beginning of Attack on Titan, you are greeted by the kind of, like, existential dread horror of a giant, skinless human breaching a wall. And the narrator, who, at, who, is, who is ultimately Eren's voice, voice actor, and in the dub and in the subtitle, in the sub-variant is also Aaron's voice actor, says that's what ended humanity's hundred years of peace and prosperity within the walls, is the walls were breached by big-ass Titan Boy, and everything went to shit. What they do then is they show you The kind of carnage. And they make you focus on the carnage. And for much of the first... For for much of the first season is about the focus on the carnage. And the consequences of this war. that, That you the viewer believe the only part of humanity left in the world. Is waging on the giant... Like... Ken doll style smooth, naked, mostly men. Let's just say that mostly men. There's one. There's there's two. There are two female titans in the bunch. Maybe three if you include your jaw titan. But we'll get to that. Um, and you are just you. You're overwhelmed by the kind of like insurmountable action premise that is this show. And at the time of the manga's first printing, I'm sure it was that manga. Although that manga was... uh, It has gotten better in the years that it has been published, but... He is... Here's the thing I suspect about the original author of Attack on Titan. I suspect that he is an extremely talented, fine art, human portraiture artist. I do not suspect that he is a great. Manga artist. And it's like. If you look at his art. There is artfulness in it. But it is not. It is sometimes very fucked. That's <laughs> what I will say. He's gotten better though. So I'll give him that. But. They start you off on this premise. And I will say. And I've, I've said this story many times. On this show. Is. Something about the bits and pieces of the Attack on Titan world gave me this uneasy feeling. And I couldn't quite ever put my finger on it perfectly why I got this feeling or what jumped out to me, but I did vocalize it to a, fr- to a friend randomly when he's like, why don't why you into Attack on Titan? And I said, exactly the phrase. I've told this story before. I said, I don't know. All the German names and with his help with the Titans feel, even if they are the primary threat of the show, it feels like you could see them as being A minority hunted down in a persecution and a, um attempt to um, commit genocide on a whole race of people that you don't understand. <laughs> and are purposely like, obscuring and obfuscating from the people hunting them down so they feel like they're monsters they can just hunt down. <laughs> and... I was right with extra steps. That's the uh, that's the thing I want to say here. Just full on. I was in that assessment, I would I would not far off base. But what I didn't what I couldn't see because I didn't know the way the stories would the story would twist and turn, but as time revealed more, I started to understand more of the twists and turns of Attack on Titan. And once I finally watched through the whole damn thing, I really got it. This is something we don't see often out of... Specifically Japanese creators. And... It, I think it should be appreciated even for what it's attempting to do, and what and what it's attempting to say, and the kinds of things it's attempting, it's like grasping at sometimes not very well. And part of that, is this is a, this show is very much in conversation with and about the a the Holocaust, b. War, the the human expense of war on people who would never have chosen to be so a soldiers but be like essentially test subjects soldiers it is about being persecuted because of your race it is about race betrayal It is about betraying your family but there's something co- like very core at it to this whole story, and I haven't brought it up yet. And that is really an emotion, an emotion that's not very well understood, handled, or and actually really two emotions, two, two sides of the same emotion. And those emotions are rage and hate. Now, just a little thing that my that I got from my grandpa that made me made me rethink my quickness to say I hate something. And my grandpa served in World War II. He's been dead for a close to a decade now, but when he was alive, he said something to me, and it's, and I find it really important. And I think that this show demonstrates it uh, this show demonstrates it in the same way that um, the scene where um, Lily from um, Lily the Tiger and the Fish straight up just says like you're not disabled you don't understand what I have to understand every day of my life you can't. You can't understand this, and you can't wrap your head around that, and that makes it worse. Um, it, in the same way that show just sh- sh- like stops dead in its tracks, stares at the sc- in the same way that film stops dead in its tracks, stares at the screen, and just s- says to fully able-bodied people. You don't have it. You never will. You can't understand this. You don't... You, you you can't see outside of the frame enough to understand what I have to understand. This show, Attack on Titan, seems to understand... Exactly this phrase that my grandpa said to me, and I've kind of it is like changed. Like I said before it has changed the way I feel about the emotion about willingly giving myself to the emotion of hate, and that is, don't say you hate something. Hate is really a four letter word, and if there was any. If there was any balance in the world, it would be considered a four-letter word on the same magnitude as fuck or damn or cunt or hell or any of those. Because hate starts wars. Hate takes hold of people and it gives permission for unspeakable monstrosities. And you don't want to just level that a bag of cereal. <laughs> like, that is not an emotion that should really ever be visited upon anything or one. Let alone just tossed out into the ether because you're having a bad day. It is too strong a thing for... Oh, I really... I I hate that show. No, you don't. You And he said... Say you dislike it intensely. That is probably on the magnitude of what you actually mean. Because hate is the kind of emotion that gives you permission to want to kill something or someone. And gives you permission to shape everything that touches you in that way. And... The other emotion that I'm going to couple with this is the other three, emo- the other two emotions actually are rage and grief. Rage because hate is the thing that can fuel rage to keep going, to keep going down a path that you know is. Not just destructive to you, but destructive to everything else. And... Grief... Can be a justification for your hate of things. For your... Understanding of a false worldview that says that you're better than this person. Or there are, in this shows In this show standing essentially for Jewish people is a race of people called Eldians who you find out later in the um Attack on Titan like world can transform into the titular titans that they fight at the beginning of the show and manipulate in terrible and horrifying ways by the end of the show and a kind of really potent cocktail of hate, grief, and rage keep this world... keep the, make this story spin out in ways that it would never be able to if anybody had the confluence of thought to be able to stop and even, not even allowed, but wonder to themselves what is right. And, and, that especially, and that especially includes Aaron, it includes later Zeke, it includes all of the people who have some kind of control over power for the most part in this show. With the exception of one character who I love and he is at this point in the show he is dead, he has been turned into a titan, and he is dead, and it makes me sad. Um and that is Commander Pixis. Commander Pixis, when they introduce him in this show, they introduce him as this kind of like very clearly very mentally talented and like gifted like five star general equivalent in of the commander of the um, garrison regiment, which is the kind of like foot soldiers of Attack on Titan. There's these these scouts who are primarily... whose job is to go and scout the outside world and report back. They keep getting massacred with the exception of a few scout members who ultimately do die in the show, but that's a different thing. Um, Or kind of die in the show. But the... Garrison Regiment are like the are like the force that is at home on the military base waiting for an attack if one ever comes. And they all are and they all have this different level of like they've seen some of them have seen some shit, some of them haven't, so some of them are like perpetual drunkards because they realize what the fuck's out there and some of them are just kinda assholes who are like army who are like army cadets who haven't who haven't had the chance to serve and see real shit, but because they're part of the army, they think they can do whatever they want. But that's neither here nor there. Um Commander Pixis is presented with Aaron as this like thing. He can transform into a Titan and he can and no one knows how, including Aaron. Like, no one knows why, also including Aaron. Aaron has the basic mechanics. I bite my hand, I turn into a titan, and I go I go get shit done. But he doesn't even really know how it works or why he can. He has some fleeting memories of a key in, like, a basement or whatever the fuck. But he doesn't really understand it. Um, until about the end of the third season, interestingly enough. Um, and the end of the third season is really the turning point for this whole show where it turns into a very, very goddamn different thing. And, but when Commander Pixis sees him, he has this flash, he's like, this is how we can turn this shit around. This is how we can make this, like, we can launch, we can finally launch an offensive. And he says later to, like, doubting to like his doubting underlings, like like I've lost a lot in my life. I'd like to win one for once. I'd like to know how that feels. I'd like to not be fighting a losing uphill battle that sucks. I'd like to like slam the door slam the gas on this Ford on this like hill climbing car and like smash the shit out of the tree at the top of the hill. For once. And. But what he also says. Is he says something really potent. And really important. To not just that show. To not just that moment. But the show is. The story is. Written well enough to hide. Dennis talking about the the whole. Of the story. And not just the moment. Because in the moment. A bunch of. Other normal human beings have found out that this kid can turn into a massive monster and kill them all, seemingly at any moment. It's not really how it works, but seemingly at any moment, and they all have to determine what the fuck. And there are people who believe in him. There are people who don't. All this other shit. And Pixis says, "Mark, essentially, mark my word." What will kill us, what will be our downfall, will not be the giant man-eating naked people at the gate. That will not be what kills us. It'll be us. And he gives this proof that's really important. And also at this point, I should say we've gotten we've gotten glimpses of what the royalty of the walls of what we later know as parody live like. And they are, like, opulent, very, very fat cat-style, super rich people who live in absolute luxury at all times, including a king who seems to be, like, bored with reality. (laughs) And so... There's this very clear... It's very clear that it's, like, a pseudo-medieval-style, um, like, top-down rule where, like... and and it, But there's barely any... There's not really any middle, and it's just the lower classes fucking up, and, like... Actually, there's an even lower class. There's a lower class, but, like, the pyramid is not... It's very... It, it's a pyramid, not a cube, so to speak. And... The... Pixis says, like, it will not be the giant monsters. It will be us that that makes an end of us. I guarantee it. In fact, here's how I guarantee it. When we sent all those people out, it was a culling. We knew it. We just didn't say it because it needed to be done. There's only so much food, so much resources, so much anything we can do inside of these walls to make sure that there is someone left alive. If you want that to change, this kid is how we change it. He turns into a giant monster, plugs that hole, and we start expanding instead of shrinking. The space we can have, and he. But what he also does, and this is also a key point, is he says to everyone, he says, "If you don't believe in this, if you don't think that this is the right thing to do, be my guest. Leave. The government will not hunt you down. You will be honorably discharged. We will continue to consider your service at as a as a, a garrison." in the Garrison Regiment, as honorably served, you will bear no consequence to these. But if you think that this will work, that this has a hope in fucking snowball chance in hell at working, I beg you stay. Because this is how we make it. The other way ain't gonna happen for us. It will be like five people, and you and I aren't one of, the, aren't two of them. And that is kind of the the truth of the series. The truth of the whole series is that the people the you ultimately find out that a country called Marley has created this has essentially. Create subg, gone full Nazi, and subjugated a race of people called the descendants of a me, uh, called the descendants of Amir, and descendants of Amir are this story stand-in for Jewish people in World War Two. And when I say that, I mean right down to the gold star armbands. In fact, if you follow anime news, you might have seen that Attack on Titan had to pull a product because it identified too much with, like, the Nazi armband they used to give Jewish people in Germany. (laughs) Like, it would just... Red... White stripe on top, white stripe on the bottom, and a thing that just looked like the Jewish star. And I, when I saw that, and and also when it first came up that the secret in the basement was anti-Semitism, which was like a headline that went around for a while, I'm not kidding. It made a lot of sense to me. But what I didn't appreciate because I hadn't watched through the whole show yet and I only watched through a small portion of it is the two scenes that matter the most really in the first and second in the the first season are um Pixis giving that speech and also the scene where you find out how Mikasa came to live with the Jaeger family because Mikasa it's very clearly like different, different everything. She is very clearly Japanese in origin, at least in part, and um, she has a she has a different last name of Ackerman, which is similar to another, which is the same last name as another character you later meet, who you find out they are basically cousins, and didn't know because the world is fucked. Um, but. Essentially, Mikasa was born from a woman who came from this version, from this, from this show's version of Japan, which you never see the actual country, but you see diplomats from that country and as well as people from that country. And they, and they, they call them like East, in the dub, they call them like, like an Eastern Oriental culture. Which, yes, is race, like, Orientalism is a racist thing, but it also fits with the, like, it fits with the shape of the show and what they were trying to do in the moment, in the moments of the show that we get there. And this show, it's not about, like, ooh, we're progressive and any of that. It's like we're setting in, like, a. Parallel universe in a time period of about, like, what if the 40s but the Nazis won? Kind of saying. And uh, what if immediately after World War Two? What if, like, 10 years after World War Two and the Nazis won? Kind of saying. So, what happens is... Mikasa is, like, living in, like, an, in, like a house away from the primary like city area of in um in the like outer in like one of the outer district walls i believe um it's like wall it's like nagashima or whatever it's called or i forgot it's a long japanese sounding name wall area um where a lot of the show takes place actually ultimately but the a bunch of a bunch of kidnappers show up at her door, and the door is open because they expect it to be actually Doctor Jaeger, Aaron's dad, Grisha Yeager. Um, and the the father is killed. The father and mother are killed, and um, Mikasa is taken, and she's intent. And their intent it was to sell Mikasa and her mother into sexual slavery. For all intents, of per- in actuality, um, because like the weird pervert in the royal, it, it, the weird noble perverts loves these, loves these these variety of women. It's really gross. Eren ultimately goes and rescues and kills. Mikasa and in the process, Eren is the first person to draw a blade and kill one of Mikasa's, um, one of Mikasa's, like, captured because they killed, they killed her parents and, like, Mikasa had, and Eren had met before and Eren is like, you fucking assholes, you killed her parents. And kills them in return. And ultimately, Mikasa also kills them. K- kills, one of, kills one or two of them. And that changes the... and like Grisha deals with the military MPs and like all this other stuff who like ultimately show up at the scene and like, oh shit, these two children killed a bunch of adult granted criminals. But oh shit, this is bad. And that that report is clearly buried and like it's left alone and all this other junk. Um, you find out later, probably because partly because of Grisha's like um connections in the military to someone who used to command the scout squadron. Um, but, uh, that episode sets up this thing that is a core truce of Aaron. That was, uh, when you look back at it and the episode 79, the latest episode, does a really good job of showing this. Because it's a, a, it's kind of Zeke trying to drag Aaron through, um his own memories so he proves that he was brainwashed. <laughs> it's a bad idea. Um and Zeke starts to see like Aaron like I'm not the monster in the room. Aaron is the monster in the room. Aaron has this kind of seething hatred for people who would take other people's freedom in a way that he'd like In a way that makes him care for everyone around him so genuinely but so terrifyingly that he is like, if you're not, if like I don't know your name specifically and you need to die so my friends and my loved ones can be free of this mad, mad world, I will kill you without a second thought. And you see moments where this, in the show going forward, where this determination is hardened in Eren. Where his failure to act results in people he cares about dying. Because of Titans, because ultimately of the female Titan in the form of Annie trying to get him back to um, Marley. And you see him harden in unique ways that only a kind of excess of tragedy can actually, hold on. Echo, turn on Perch. Sorry, it's getting real dark in here. Um, But the excess of... An excess of tragedy and an excess of misfortune and an excess of exposure to death in a way that's personal and... avoidably tragic can only produce... And so... Let's fast forward to another part of the series. Um, the, the female Titan shows up late in it, the female Titan arc. It's the last arc of the first season. And the female Titan shows up out of goddamn nowhere when they're trying to retake Wall Maria. Um, or when they're trying to retake the, like, the search of the final wall that got broken through. And starts to go after Eren. And you realize at this point that Erwin, in his. Erwin, the head of the scouts, had set this plan up to actually root root out any other Titans, quote unquote, Titan people could transform into Titans who they call Titan shifters in the ranks who might be after Eren because. He seems important. Not even Aaron knows how, but he ultimately seems important. And that arc reveals that Annie, Leonhart, one of the um cadets in the hundred and fourth like cadet class, is actually a tight is actually a Titan shifter. And here's where you see the third ...truly unique Titan design... ...actually, fourth, ...if we're counting, um... first wife... ...um, truly unique Titan design... ...in the show... ...and that is the female Titan... ...up until now, we've only ever seen... ...the Colossal Titan, the, like, one that you see on the... ...on the posters... ...the Armored Titan... ...the other one that shows up to break through the second wall... ...and you have and um you see Grisha's first wife but you don't know that's her until the story reveals it and how it came to be and she's going to get Aaron and at this point stuff gets a little muddy even if you don't realize it because there are multiple Titans who are unique in the way they attack and, the, and their goal. And they have like a sentient goal. And then there are just some mindless, big, naked, scary, people-eating monsters. And... Ultimately, by the end of the third season... By the end of the second season... You... Learn... Is it second season or third season? Hold on, I gotta, I got I've got it right in front of me. Um, but you learn. Ultimately, we do learn that, um, Marley. That a you learn that Marley exists at all, and that's an important, weird thing, that you didn't know beforehand. But b you learn that. Marley has been recruiting um, Eldians, the show, or who are also known as subjects of Amir, who are the show's stand in for Jewish people. A flawed stand in, granted, because they can transform into giant fucking monsters. Um, but a, they're standing for their version of an oppressed race of people. And their solution for an oppressed race of people who are not in any way religiously tied, but also their, like, ability to transform into giant monsters is super conditional, like, super freakishly conditional, and also manipulated by the Marley government and military as part of their oppression And part of their way of forcing, of like committing, committing unspeakable war crimes and crimes on humanity. In a way that, in a way that very few shows can, because you need to, to approach the kind of like disgusting nightmare shit that fucking nazis did to jewish people in world war ii you need to think about the worst thing you could do to a person and then like expand phenomenally on that thing make it so much worse you could ever possibly imagine keep going down the worst path of what you could do to a human and you'd get close And that's what I think the Titan angle of Attack on Titan is really about. I don't think it's because the author wanted a compelling, like, hook or anything. I think it's he needed a mechanic in the show that could be, like, psychotically manipulated by characters in the show to be something that is so unbelievably, unstoppably, and insanely abusive that it demonstrates this kind of cost of war that is too high for any sane, single human to commit to. And ultimately, A, the characters ultimately deduce from both Aaron, the one who's on their side, and um and Annie, that Titans might be human and the person who I haven't brought and at this point I wanna bring up somebody who I haven't brought up yet, and somebody who is like a beloved character of this show. And that character is um Levi. Levi Ackerman, who is essentially Mikasa's cousin that she never knew she had because of story reasons. But Levi is this, like, machine, is this titan-killing machine. He has, like, been born and bred to murder the shit out of titans. And nobody, like, nobody else in this show... Comes close... To the kind of like... Blender of fury... That he is... And the like... Lack of fear... Emotion... Reaction... Any of it... And... He has a huge... He is in huge part... Responsible... For... Shaping Aaron... As a character... And... Giving Aaron the hard truth of, I don't know, like, I can't answer these questions for you. I can't, I can't give you an order that says trust us because fucking that's not always the right answer. (laughs) But you have to make this choice for yourself or else it doesn't really mean much. I can tell you what I prefer, but. I wouldn't blame you if you just flew off the handle at some point because it seems pretty goddamn hopeless and I can't tell you we know entirely how it's going to go. And in that way, he endears himself to Aaron because he's really the only, he's one of He's one of really four characters who are perfectly honest with Eren in their interactions with him. And those four characters really are Levi, Mikasa, Armin, and Historia. Levi is honest with him. And Jeff being very frank and being very straightforward and saying, look, all of this is fucked. All of this seems like it will always be fucked, especially for you. You have a power that can unfuck it. Or that power can make it worse. I don't know the limits or conditions of that power and I don't know what's coming next or what's coming forth right now necessarily. So I can't make the judgment whether it's... And he said, he basically gives Aaron this information when they're riding on horseback running from Annie and like more and more members of the scout regiment are getting slaughtered by, Aunt, by the female Titan as she just like wings them around like yo-yos and smashes them into trees doesn't even eat them just fricking kills them on sight without hesitation and ultimately Aaron decides I'm going to stay the course and Annie is captured but then Annie escapes and kills everyone except for Aaron and Levi And to Aaron, what that says is, I should have dealt with this when I had the chance. Because he's like 16 or something, basically. Like, he's not, he's not, the, the thing, one of the things you kind of have to remember in this show is that these characters are growing up through a conflict that is so much bigger than them and all, and all of the characters around you, even Pixis, have been growing up through a conflict that is so much bigger than them and so much older than them and so much less and so much more filled with anger, hatred, and grief than... Is ever necessary for anyone to experience and ever healthy for anyone to experience that it changes the way they experience their lives. Their childhoods are not normal. Their adulthoods never had a hope in hell of being normal. But they, like, their preservation of their own lives and the lives of the people around them they care about are so paramount that guides them in unique and terrifying ways and for a character like mikasa she becomes this like death like death machine hell-bent on like i don't care what answers you get what orders you give me if it results in this person getting in this person next to me getting killed or in fact in this person slightly less so sorry armin don't have the same eye for you as i have for him if it results in Aaron, in Aaron dying, I will not order them. I will not follow those orders. If I think they will result in, in Aaron dying, I will not follow those orders. If he is in more danger, then you need help. Or if he, he even in a slight bit of danger, I will defend him before I follow the orders I'm given by the military. I don't care what happens to me. I care what happens to him. And this is shown multiple times throughout the show and it's shown even in the last, like, even in the fourth season once Aaron does his best to push her away, you find out later for the purposes of, like, setting himself up on a path where he can get to the goal that he's trying to grasp at. And where he's trying to create a world where happiness is possible for him, for him, her, and Armin, essentially. Everybody else is like, they get happiness as an accessory to it. But, like, it's very clear that his goal is, like, Mikasa and Armin are coming with me to actual paradise. And even then, she can't. Let it go. But in her... And the real tragedy... The real tragic character of this show is Mikasa. Because you see her... Like... Unending devotion to this character... who In the form of Eren. Who by the fourth season, is so determined to use that hate, grief, and and rage to shape reality in the way that he feels it needs to be. And what you find out ultimately through the manga and through a lot of Googling, because I've uh, morbidly curious when I'm watching shows and I'm like, I gotta know how this goes. It ultimately... Mikasa kills Eren. Because it's the only way to stop the rumbling. And what the rumbling is, is... I'm gonna do some... Some, like, explaining of the show's mythology here because you need to get it to know what the rumbling is. Is... When... Amir, when the descendants of Amir had, were, were fighting against Marley because Marley was, Marley in the way that the Nazis were, were, was only a, like the construction of Marley's government only works if they are at war. It does not work if they are somehow in peacetime. It's Arguable that America the same way, um, but if you look at the if you look at the structure of the Nazis and you look at the structure of Marley, it's very true in both instances that two things are necessary for Marley to continue to exist. First, is they need to have an oppressed group of people that everybody can unload their hate, their like hateful slurs onto. Um, And they call they, I mean, they call they they call them the names in this show. They call the Eldians the names. You call fucking the bat like races you think are bad. Like they call them filthbloods in this goddamn show, which is like, ooh, that's a lot of anti-Semitism all at once. Holy shit. Um, and like a lot of Marley's. A lot of Marley's culture is, yes, there, but it's not. A a lot of Marley's, like, predicament is held up by the fact that they can all look down on one race of people. And there's so much brain, there's so much military brainwashing going on. There's so much hatred and rage and grief sloshing around in that in, in that country and in the world in general towards the Eldians. and that's why I keep comparing them to Jewish people in World War II that it can sustain people it, it can not only sustain like Oh, those are just filth those are just like filth bloods or filthy devils or any other number of things they call them. And it gives it gives the nation a local target to hate. And that's really valuable. And then much like um much like Germany in World War II, um Marley is also expanding outward and taking over neighbors in other countries and they are using to do this the what they call the now the nine founding titans. And the descendants the reason why the other name for Marley and for um Eldians is the descendants of Amir is and this is a big folk tale. It's a well written like folk tale, like er, like um Mythical, almost religious-like beginning is the reason that titans exist. Is that uh, the reason why all why all descendants of Amir can turn into titans is because Amir, the original founder, or re- fell into a lake one one day, de- like hundreds of years ago, like um, centuries ago. And was approached by the by the first devil of the earth or what they call devil of all earth and she made a she made a pact with it and it feud with her or something and she became what is known as the founding Titan so like the Titan to rule all Titans and then her nine children ate her and created the 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 nine titans of what, most of which i believe you meet in the show ultimately and that's titans like the like the colossal titan the attack titan eren's titan um the armored titan reiner titan the colossal is um 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 what's his face um the big tall black haired guy titan and uh, um, and then you meet the female Titan. Ultimately, you meet the Jaw Titan, who belongs to a couple of different people. Um, there's the the Beast Titan, who belongs to Zeke, and um, the Cart Titan, who belongs to a woman named um, like I forget the woman's name who is the Cart Titan, but you see her at several different points too. And what Elvia? what Elvia? what was originally, it seems, like Elvia trying to use these powers for good to, like, help, to help nation develop and, like, build up but you're never really shown that, I want to be clear. Um it's clear Marley stepped in and changed the narrative and rewrote, and did a really good job of brainwashing and rewriting history on a huge section of the world and said essentially that the Eldian Empire was a terrifying thing and they were eating people left and right and they were just like forcing people to bear their children the whole nightmare affair. And my suspicion is that this, that parts of both are probably true like because you don't get to be an all powerful empire without doing some heinous shit look at America um and but what ultimately came to pass is that Elvia is Marley kind of dominated Elvia and Elvia fractured and fell apart and Eldian became hyper oppressed in the same way the Jewish people were in in the scarily same way that Jewish people were in um World War 2 and Eldia gained the control of the nine titan of the nine original titans but didn't retain control of the founding titan the one that can control everything and the original king, the, like, first king of Eldia fucked off to his own island, built this nine walls thing, but he took, I believe, like, a couple million colossal titans, like the original one you see in the show, like the original first titan you see in the show, took a couple million of those big, of the big assholes, and he put them in the walls. And he, said, and he said as a deterrent, if you ever come after me or anyone who lives here, I will end the world. I will initiate what they call the rumbling. And the rumbling is essentially a big death march by billions of, by millions of colossal titans across the earth. Like one end to another. And flattening everything in its path, essentially, and it would cause this like rumbling earthquake, which is why it's called the rumbling. But now we have that. But the key thing, and the thing that I think that the author that the author probably put in here because it is. It is a way people also think about war, especially when war has been going on for a while, is the First King never intended to use this. It was a hollow threat used as a deterrent, and, like, it is, like, it is a world-ending scenario that is used as a deterrent. It is essentially the equivalent of the nuclear deterrent of the modern day. Like... Essentially, if you don't know what the nuclear, what the what like the nuclear deterrent in reality is, it says like if Russia launches nukes at say like some country, then Amer- then it would trigger someone else to have to launch nukes at Russia, which would trigger someone else to launch, and it would be essentially mutually assured destruction. And The reason why no one doubts that is because Japan is the only country that has had nuclear weapons used on it and it is terrifying. In the same way that like Marley keeps using Titans in in, as part of war and everybody's like oh mm -mm, we don't we don't pick fights with parody because freaking we see what those things do. It's not, it's not a great idea if it just... Unleashed... Millions of those are unleashed across the earth. We all be dead at that point. And... What the first king also does... He locks... Everyone in his bloodline... To that oath. Meaning that... At some point... Every single... Royal family member have become convinced, like, uh, I'm going to be the one who inherits the Titan, and I'm going to be the one who can actually, like, do a mini-rumbling, essentially, and, like, get us out of this nightmare. And they're locked into the vow of renouncing war, which is a key plot point in this show. And then Grisha, at some point, Grisha Jaeger, steals the Founding Titan, gives it to Eren, And sets him on this path to, um... And let's be be really clear. Grisha is also Zeke's, Zeke's father. And Grisha tried and failed to get Zeke to inherit a titan so they could rise up, so the, like, ghettoized, um... So his ghettoized people could rise up and overtake El Elde- and overtake the Marlian government and like destroy it from the inside. That did not work because Zeke found out his plan that Grisha was using his own son to accomplish, and turned them into the military. And but Grisha was saved by a somebody in the military who gave him his titan, who gave him the attack titan, one of the nine, and set him loose towards, um, towards parody, or, um, towards, towards where Aaron would have ultimately be born, which is parody. And what this whole show does is it shows you it shows you the moments in which the hate the combination the combination of once again, hatred, rage, and grief can be manipulated by people in way can be manipulated and make people manipulate a bull to be convinced of terrible things. And ultimately, Zeke is convinced of the idea that in order for all of this to stop, in order for all of it to end eventually, Elzeans need to be able to stop having children. And they give you some, like, plot point that makes that possible. Where, essentially, two people can euthanize an entire culture. an entire An entire... Race of people. And Jake's. Sadness. And his anger. And his rage. At. At. At his father. At the circumstances he was born into. At. Eldia. At all of it. Leads him to think. It would be better if I never had to endure this and it would be a hell of a lot better if nobody in the future had to endure this the only way for the world to be at peace the only way for there to be any peace for anyone who was born in the same world that I was born into is for them to not be born and so he proceeds to hope that he's manipulating Aaron into this into this plan and then you realize by literally the episode we're on, he's not he hasn't manipulated Aaron into anything at all. Aaron said yes to get to the end point Aaron thought was right. And But the and now is where I'm gonna go all the way back to the scene where Aaron and Mikasa kill a whole bunch of gross kidnappers who plan to sex, sell Mikasa into sex slavery. Aaron is not about to back down and say they stole our they stole our future, they stole our freedom, and it's our fault for being born into it. He is the kind of person who says he is the opposite, He is the opposite kind of strong man this game is not over i will make sure i am on the i will make sure me and mine are on the winning side of this end but and there's a there's a key to the key point here and that is the that is the inheritance program in this show um essentially the mechanics of the mechanics of attack on titan and how and how the founding the nine founding titans are inherited and continue to exist throughout the centuries they've existed is if you are a founding titan you get 13 years to get it done and then you croak what they what Marley has figured out is each of these each, a founding titan candidate a warrior candidate what they call them program needs to be started so at by the time that one fat one warrior who has a who is in possession of a founding titan exists like quote unquote term is up meaning they're about to die we have another one who we can turn into what they call pure titan which is a big scary, naked, man-baby, version of a Titan, who will eat them, inherit their power, and they'll carry the power of the Armored Titan, or the Jaw Titan, or the Cart Titan, forward for the next 13 years. And we will repeat this nightmare cycle with with this race of people we believe to be inferior, but who give us military dominance because... We have these soldiers who can turn into these nightmare things, over and over and over again. They also use L- grown-up Eldians in the form of basically giant Titan bombs. That they can drop on anyone, and but what they also do is they spend a lot of time, a lot of time, reeducate. Educating these children and telling them that you are from... You are born from filth. You are sinners. If you want to be one of the good ones... This is how you act. This is what you do. This is honor for your family and your... Wicked, hideous, disgusting bloodline. And... A different show would show the resistance, but not show the consequence to that. This what this show does in the form of its warrior candidates, and it does it really starkly and like stunningly to ultimately really good effect. Is it shows um, three three warrior candidates primarily, but. Uh, initially, but two primarily. One in the form of a character named Falco, who's a young kid who is just a kind-hearted kid and, like, he wants to... And he loves his... And he has a crush on his classmate. And, you know, like, he... He knows in his bones that this is all fucked. <laughs> and he's just trying to get, like, get by in life. And then his classmate, that, that classmate he had a crush on... This girl named Gabby, who is the top of her class, who is determined to be... And even the brass say, like, you're going to be the person who inherits the next Titan who's up, who is, at the time they're introducing the story, Reiner Titan. And Reiner is the, is the armored Titan. And it, in turn, Reiner, Baron Holt, and Marco, and um, a kid named Marco who dies... Um, cause, he eat, cause she's eaten, he's eaten, he'd eaten by, um, Ymir, but, um, Ymir, the, the, like, side character, not Ymir, the goddess girl, but she, they all, they've all been put through this brainwashing, they've all been, like, terminally fucked in the head since before they were born, they never had a chance. But the thing that happens to Gabby is she, in the beginning of the fourth season, takes initiative, like, figured out how to get onto the, like, dirigible that, um, the citizens of, that the, uh, that the, um, that Aaron and his team attack Marley from. And she kills the shit out of Sasha, <laughs> the, like, the, like, potato eating girl. And because of that, her and Falco are taken prisoner, and they're taken prisoner in in parody. And they they like through a bunch of different through through Gabby being a little Nazi you shit. They essentially escape, and they spend time with what they didn't know at the time, but you, as the viewer, know is Sasha's family in like the middle of nowhere. And Sasha's family reveals, like, you guys are Marlians, right? Like, we knew the whole time, whatever. And they were so kind and so giving. And, like, it for a period of time, this show turns into kind of, like, a slice of life with these, like, bunch of kids. And it's, like, a fun thing. And, and then every time you get a little too com- comfortable, like... Gabby rears her like weird little nasty use head and freaks the fuck out on someone and someone is like yo Like I, you clearly heard a lot of shit about us like you think we're filthy island devils who like eat babies for breakfast like a whole nightmare of things and we need to pay for our sins and this one character I forget her name It's the girl who was saved by Sasha in the beginning of the third season, actually. Just says to Gabby, like, how could could that be my fault? I don't even know who you're talking about. You're talking about shit from history books. I didn't do any of that. It's not on me. It never was. It never will be. And that's the first moment I expect that at the end of all this, Gabby will be used as the character who is like the most changed through the story in the fastest amount of time. It, for the entire time, Gabby and Falco are on um, are on parody. Uh, Gabby is perplexed by the island devils hesitance to not just hurt her but kill her she's killed a guard she's killed a close friend of about every single she's killed Sasha who is a close friend of everybody in on the show and she's killed a like a prison guard in both in cold blood both largely in cold blood And no one retaliates against her. No one does anything of the sort. The only one who comes close is Aaron, who is on his own fucking rageful kick at that point. And he never refers to her by name. He very clearly knows her name and does not give a shit. He's like, bring the brat who killed Sasha. Sasha. And that's probably your biggest hint that he has still, like, emotion in his heart and caring in his heart. Because when Sasha died, he laughs kind of hysterically <laughs> in a way that everybody's horrified by, everybody's, like, also terrified by. Because in that moment, they all believe they've lost what, who Aaron was to whatever the fuck him and Zeke have cooked up. But by the by, episode seventy nine, what you really understand is that, and I I under I understand some of this on a real guttural level for the reason of I and I may have told this story I don't think I have though I used to go to a camp once a year for a week a sleepaway camp and it was a sleepaway camp for. Children who had survived cancer. And unfortunately for anybody who is a child cancer survivor, the the death rate of cancer survivors can be very, very high. And as a result, at the beginning of that camp, at the end of at the beginning of camp, at the end of camp, they have memorial services. Not because everybody died at camp that, as far as I know, never happened. But because you would meet people one year and I'm being totally dead serious right now you would meet someone next year who and get to know them and get to like them and like bond with them in some way or even be in a cabin with them which meant that you were like you slept in the same big room with them and then they would be dead the next year that has happened to me more times than I would probably admit. They weren't always in the same cabin as me, but I've met some people who, mark my word, no one deserves to die, just weren't around the following year. I've met some people who I've lost track of who in the back of my head I know are dead. (laughs) And that relationship to death, that understanding... That it's not like... It's not like a looming thing that's far off in the future. It's a thing that's immediate. That is here, now. It is taking people. Changes a person's perspective on... Death or death of someone they know. Or death of... Anyone, really. And for... Everyone processes deaths in a different way. And everyone sees the world from a different angle. And I would imagine to Aaron at that moment, he just saw that he didn't get to it fast enough. He didn't move fast enough to stop Sasha from dying. And this was his punishment. And isn't it funny that you couldn't, do it fast enough because you are still playing in your in your own bullshit rules and it's it was the laughter it's like it's like laughter for not being able to help himself and him calling Gabby the brat who killed Sasha him not Doing what everyone else did and seeing that she's very clearly a child who's brainwashed out of her fucking gourd. And who is angry at a group of covert, highly trained, very deadly people just showing up to destroy her reality need to pay for that? And then saying like, uh, yeah, you're you're a fucked up little thirteen-year-old brat, aren't you? Like we're not we're not gonna kill you. You don't know what you're goddamn doing. You think you do. You've had very evil fucking Mangala-esque Nazis telling you you know what you're doing, but you really don't. <laughs> you really don't. And like, also, you're our first shot at like Stopping this nonsense. You're the hope. And yeah, we we gotta do some deprogramming. (laughs) We gotta like switch out that hard drive. It's real, it's real filthy. But you're like you're the point of hope is a little girl who is taken by the oppressed, who who is one of the oppressed, who needs to be reminded. They are not filth. They don't need to strive to be one of the good ones. Literally, she she says at many points, like, if I can be one of the good Eldians and we can wipe out all of the bad Eldians, why are they bad? What, what can you point to that, like, this poor girl who watched her mother die did in her short life that is worse? Her being wiped from existence. And. It's in the character of. um Gabby. That I think the show is exploring. The like. Real. The real consequence. And the real shape. Of what hatred looks like. When it is allowed to. Be manipulated to grab a person by their very being and shape them, because in like Gabby, Gabby is a bratty, a bratty, you know, preteen idiot. But she's fairly kind. She's fairly like she's a she's a brat, and she does things for glory. She does things. That she thinks of the right thing, she thinks of the things she told, she told the right, but they are so clearly not. If you know anything about history, and they're so clearly not. If you know anything about this world, and once she starts, and once the cracks show, once she starts having to re-examine everything. And once she realizes, like, like, this girl who is really kind to her, in an instant, once she finds out that Gabby is the reason that the woman who saved her life didn't come back alive from a mission that was otherwise hugely successful and brought most of the Survey Corps, who, by the way, on parody, are considered... Goddamn war heroes and the best of the best. Like, only nine people made it back from the, like, finale of season two. And they are the fucking go-getters who kick ass and take names. Once the, once that blonde-haired, like, teenage girl finds that out, she's immediately, she's immediately at this other little girl's throat with a knife, seizing with the kind of hatred and rage and despair and grief that this show is very clearly from the beginning all about showing the consequences of. And it's Sasha's dad who's doctor and says, like, you can't, you can't kill this child. And they say it to the, um, to Sasha's, like, love interest who you've never seen You never get to see the goofy girl have a romantic relationship on screen. It makes me very sad because that would have made the show, even if it's not the point, that would have made that moment more retroactively sadder in a way that it wasn't when it happened. It was still very sad, believe me, but it wasn't when it happened. Sasha's father said, like, you can't, you have to, like, I know that you hate this child, but you don't hate her. You hate the circumstances that created her. Like, like you said five minutes ago when we were having a nice lunch. Because this is all in the setting of a, um, like a fancy restaurant run by a Marley and, um run by Marley and immigrant, essentially. We have to be the, like, we have, to, in order to start building all of this, we need to start understanding each other. And what she did was, from a place of ignorance and anger and hatred, all the things you feel right now, justifiably, justifiably, but neither of you are the trigger or the finger that pulled the trigger on this gun you are the bullets being hurled endlessly forward tearing through the world of which you know very little and that's really the And now I want to go back to a thing I drifted away from, which is the first king, and this is probably where I'll end. There is a belief among lots of people in wartime, and be be it people call themselves humanists, people call themselves pacifists, people call themselves um, conscious objectors, all kinds of things. That the only way to stop a war is to just not fight. It's just not fight. Just not fight the war. Just not pick up a gun. But sadly, and I wish this wasn't true. I wish with all my heart this wasn't true. That can't be true. There's a... There's a tenet to martial arts that you learned... You learn to fight in hopes that you nev- that you'll never have to, and you learn the art of self-defense for only self-defense. And like the, the like big thing of um, of that show Cobra Kai is about like, Cobra Kai teaches its students to attack people, whereas Miyagi Do teaches its students only to defend other people. But the thing about being effective in, like, stopping both sides and stopping, like, a kind of endless carnage of the cycle of war and the cycle of the kind of seething hatred and rage and the kind of endless grief that fuels wars. That not only fuels wars, but sets up the sides for future ones. And make future ones really continuations of the wards of the path. Is. You need a kind of strength that is so. Unimaginable. So. Complete. So terrifying. That it. Says to people. If you come. You. You will not. You will not make it out of it. You will not be strong enough to oppose my will towards both of you. It is not a war between each of you, it is a war at me, and I can guarantee you will not make it out of it. The sacrifices, the price is too high. And the thing that the First King set up is meant to represent like that as a concept. Essentially. But the other thing is it's like you have to have the you have to have the you have to have the, will, you have to have the will to say, like, if they if they show up knocking at my door, I need to go out there with a shotgun and I need to take out a kneecap. Like I need to I need to make them understand they keep coming and they don't get to live. And that's the that's the like problem that allows this to com- to completely do its thing is the first king never it, he swore he swore off war permanently but he set up a deterrent that would never be used or ball. In any way. Unless it was taken entirely out of his hand. In a really unique. Specific variation. That he could not have seen coming. And Zeke and Aaron. Ultimately get to. And. But the reality is. Zeke doesn't want that. Zeke has been spoiled. By a world at war. That could have been prevented and would have been erased, essentially, if the First King didn't swear off war. If the First King had, the moment they came at them, been like, well, you guys came, let's rumble, and just snapped his fingers, it would have been all over. It would have... The the deterrent only works if you see the... If when you go at someone. If you have no doubt that when you go at someone. Someone else does something else. The the other side uses that deterrent. So. When Marley initially attacked. When Marley initially attacked. Parody. Which you know it was for oil. Because of course it was. Um, and parody responded by defending itself, but not pulling the trigger on the big old gun they had. That was when it was over for, for years, for absolute, for like five years. That was when it was just goddamn over. And. In order to start it back up, they would essentially what the what the plan what the plan suggested by Zeke to parody to cover up his euthanization plan, which is once again insane, like grief stricken nightmare, like not the era nightmare shit, um, was was to essentially trigger, like, a one-wave mini-rumbling that was, like, they would stop and it would be fine. But it would also demonstrate, like, you want to come? You want to you pick a fight with this? Oh, son, we, we'll just fucking flatten the earth with your corpses. And the reality is, is all logic says that if that worked, perfectly if that was like a like if you could turn on and off like that that would be fine that, that, that would be enough of a turn if they like took out the forest on parody with giant skinless men stomping all over the place it would have been fine but it, it's clear that that's not how it's going to go it's clear that's not what Aaron wants to do It's clear that's not what Zeke wants to do. Zeke and Aaron have two very different opinions of this. When, in the latest episode, in Brothers, when Zeke realizes that, like, Aaron doesn't want a mini-rumbling. He wants the fucking rumbling. (laughs) He He wants the show to go on, essentially. He wants to flatten the world for transgressions against not specifically his people. But his closest friends and family. He wants the world to pay for creating a version of the world in which he has had to say goodbye to just about every... to all but his two closest friends. And then he's had to make new friends and then they die and make new friends and then they die this show and I once I saw the like scope of the thing I realized this show is not about the consequences this show is is about the consequences of war and of the consequences of the primarily of the primary Emotion that fuels war, and that is hatred. On one side or another, there is hatred for the other side. And if you are hoping, if you are have a hope in hell of under, of of getting past that, you need to understand the other side isn't hated. That you aren't hated somewhere somehow you have both convinced yourself that they are not people on the other side it take take um take our lovely Iraq war for a perfect example to the to the other side we were hateful and Hateful, sinning infidels, filthy and irredeemable in the eyes of God who needed to die so they could go to heaven and get their 72 virgins. To us, they were f- filthy terror, suicide bombing terrorists who attacked our country, threatened our peace, and killed our loved ones. Is that true? on either side is that justifiably true on either side? It's debatable. You know, like there there is there is somewhere in the back of some, you know, fifteen year old training in a on the monkey bars for Al Qaeda's head a real fear that when it's his time to strap on the vest and go blow up the train station with his own body, he knows that's coming for him. He he doesn't necessarily want it for himself, but he's told that's what will bring will, will bring the world forward. Hence, you get characters like Reiner, Annie, and Behrhold and Marco, child soldiers who are who are plucked from an oppressed class, given privilege and accolades for them and their family, who would be worse off if they weren't plucked to be warrior candidates, and thrown without a net into the fire of another country who they're supposed to kidnap somebody from and utterly destroy and kill. They were teenagers. They never had a. They never stood a fighting fucking chance. There's a reason why anti Semitism is so. It's so toxic to someone's career. Why famous fashion designers and famous. famous. Um, it, my famous fashionizers and bigwig CEOs are brought down by the mere mention of they are an, an anti semite. It's also true of racism. It's because at every level we can prove that World War II and that wars like World War II and wars like the Civil War were perpetrated. On the basis of a hatred and an oppression of a people, and so when that hatred or oppression of a people is seen in reality, when you see just the most naked racism or just the most anti-Semitism, the world has conditioned us necessarily, for our own good, seriously, to to say, no, nope, that person doesn't get to play in polite society anymore. Because we let them sit around and they start convincing their friends and then, you know, we got a Nazi problem. And that's happened. Like, we, we all looked the other way and now we have a Nazi problem again. that, that that's what fucking happened. We got white supremacists and Jews will not replace us shit. And that, all of that snowballed to us firebombing and dropping two nukes on one country. Out of senseless hatred and rage and grief. I think that this show is probably let me put it this way. When Tanya the Evil came out, people loved that show. I it was the most popular show of its season. And there were good shows out that at that point, you know, Fuka was out, and Fuka was like full on being like, "We're not gonna kill him with a truck this time, we promise. We're gonna make him think we are, but we're not gonna. We promise." But what terrified me about, you know, um, Tiny the Evil, which I think was super popular in twenty sixteen, actually, which is creepy, um, is that that show was glorifying the kind of like war crime victory at all costs victory and oppression at all victory at the cost of oppression of other people that was the nazis it was an excuse for everybody to real to not realize they didn't learn the lesson that we all thought we didn't we never had to teach this is teaching the goddamn lesson it is teaching you that the kind of hatred and vitriol and rage and grief and anger all mixes together, and it it will bring everyone down. You will not be lucky. The character um named Willie Willie something. Willie um he dies at the beginning of the, and he's in he's in, it's like this family is introduced and done away with pretty quickly, but his name is um, Willie... Willie, um... Willie something. Oh, Willie, um... Willie Tiber. And Willie Tiber is very clearly um, Elvian, but he is insanely rich. It's shown that he's insanely rich. He has a big, sprawling family with a maid who you ultimately find out is a Warhammer Titan. Um, But he is the financial backer of um, Marley. And he manipulates his own cultural history to try and be the one who gets out of it. He, he thinks he will be the one who survives. And he says to people, like, I am, you know, of Elvian descent, and here's here's the deal. And he, and he tells... He ultimately tells a version of the truth that is lies and truth mixed together, most likely. But what what happens is he gets he gets he, he gets swallowed whole by Aaron by the end of by the end of his very short like two episode arc you will not be the lucky one you will not be seen as one of the good ones eventually there will be no others for for something to come for what do we think will happen do we think oh i'll get away and it'll be fine no the kind of poison that's being played with doesn't stop until everybody stabbed everybody else and if you're thinking I can start this I can start this train and ride it all the way to the end what do you plan on doing? what do you plan on doing when you've conquered every hill when you've Burned every valley to the ground. What are you going to do when all that's left is you? What does that look like? What are the consequences? What do you lose in the process? Is it worth it? I can guarantee you it's not. And ultimately, that's why... And they um, they certainly... uh, make a precursor to it. I don't know if Eren stays dead because Gabby shoots him in um, in the show, but they ultimately, in the manga, Mikasa kills Aaron to stop the rumbling because what's the world outside the walls if everything is gone? The, the one truth of this show, of this show to the character the main cast in the first season, with the exception of Reiner and Annie and Bernhold, is that they have not seen outside the walls they have characters like even like Levi or um. anyone else have barely seen beyond the forest outside the walls. Aaron certainly hasn't. Ermin hasn't to that point. The first time they see Marley is when they essentially launch a terrorist attack on a country. <laughs> and what have they, if they... If they have... If their whole goal is to gain freedom, what's the point if freedom means everything else is gone from the earth and they have, and the only thing that matters is in the walls again? That's not freedom. That's setting fire to everything outside of the birdcage. cage, and that's not worth it. And I. There are people in the country who believe that there's a civil war about to happen. There are budding there's a budding conflict that seems to be dragging everybody into it that people believe will be World War 3. Why? What's the point? What's the point to fighting this fighting everyone? Why does Russia need to have Ukraine? Why does it need Why does America need to intervene? Why does any of this need to happen this way? You know... The bottom line is is that... And this show really proves it. You and I are in our sane minds... We do not have the like machinations of power and grandeur that most have. That, that, not most have, that people who have been born into and attained and held power for generations have. You know, like, and I, and yes, do our presidents oftentimes seem like jolly old, good old people. But they by definition aren't as soon as you are president as soon as you uh, you know hold status somehow that changes you it would change me it would change you it changes anybody but the best you can hope for is that it doesn't rob you of your ability to stop stand back look at a scenario and say like what's what's the end game here what's what, what am I, what, what a victory am I playing for? What's, what is a success here? Because oftentimes, every time, when in human conflict, in war, the end game is that you, what is that you either forces unwilling surrender or you force surrender in which the other side realizes the costs are too high Or everybody on the other side is dead. And neither of those is great. You know. And this is why I'm so interested by the character of Gabby. Because the character of Gabby seems to be being forced to learn. Like. She's no different from anyone else the end of the day everyone has a heart beating in their chest and it doesn't matter if i'm if i'm a different color than you or i come from a different place than you or i pray to a, pray to a different god than you human is human life is life and um the um I think her name is like... Her name's with a P. But the character who plays the cart titan is interesting. And was interesting from the first frame she was on screen. I was like... They're doing some weird things here. And it makes a lot of sense. But they're doing some weird things here. She... In order to convince Aaron... And this is where I'll end it. That she was like on Aaron's side. And like was not trying to bring him back. She said like... Once Aaron like walks her through the process of this is how this could go, bitch," she's like, "Oh, you're right. I'm on board with this euthanasia thing let's let's do it and Aaron reveals that the reason why he told the bitch who killed the brat who killed Sasha to come along was so that he could handcuff her to this other girl, and the girl. Says all these things and immediately portrays exactly what she just said. And at this point, Gabby having witnessed all of that and everything else that she's witnessed on parody, the kindness, the seething rage at the fact that she killed someone who she, she thought she was supposed to kill, who she thought it was right to kill, and all of the other things... She hears this character character who is who plays the cart titan who who is essentially doomed to die in less than twenty years guaranteed say, I don't trust the Mar- marlians even a even an inch. Not even close. But I trust the people who ride on my, who ride my back into a fight every day and trust that I will do my best to get them back fucking alive. As they do their best to get me back alive. That's who I trust. And that is that is such a human thing. And she's a small cat she's a very small character in the like grand scheme of everything. But in her interactions with her crew, you see a real necessary family that was formed there that is real and honest and made up of Eldians and Marlians and like rich and poor and everything in between that is absent from a lot of the show otherwise. It is absent from all kinds... It is is absent almost entirely from that show. And it, it is done in passing, but if you look at it closer, you see that's the real goal. That, like, trusting people, what you've had experience with, and trusting a person for trusting a person's sake... Not because they are, you know, black, white, Asian, Jewish, Christian, any of that shit. It's not... It's not worth it to hate people. It's not worth it to put your energy into that. As someone who can mainline anger with the best of them, believe me... It's more than you realize, most likely. That kind of energy isn't... Just, there's no point. It doesn't matter. What, Whatever they did, whatever happened, doesn't matter. Did they kill somebody? They were a dumbass. What do you want to do, kill them? And then people who cared about... Them come to kill you and people who care about you come to kill them and on and on and on and on. It's a hard thing to understand. It's a hard thing to commit to. It's a hard thing to be strong enough to defend against and stand in the way of. The Sasha's father will have to Spend years of his life undoing the kind of seizing anger that was inspired in that girl who Sasha saved when she found out that a 13-year-old Nazi brainwashed Jewish Nazi youth brat, for all intents and purposes, killed The woman who saved her life. Who brought her back. Who brought her out of the darkness. Because it wasn't that little girl's fault. Just like it wasn't her fault. That blonde girl's fault. When she was a little girl. That is how. It will take years to make that happen. They make it very clear in the show. When. Gabby hears them sneaking around. And she's like, I don't care about that girl. If I see her, I'll just kill her myself. Like I should have in the restaurant. That's the kind of seething hatred. That's what's taken hold of that. Of that otherwise perfectly, like, beautifully reasonable and understanding little girl. And that's what, like, if if any of us are even hoping... For a future that looks better than the present in any way, at any point, in the past or in the future or any of it, we have to in some way let that hatred go. We have to let it not enter our heads that if someone commits some kind of act to us we need to understand that people on the other side are human and we need to find a human way to deal with each other every time. And if anyone wants to promote that hate, we have to be strong enough to stop it in its path. To not so much look at People who want to promote that hatred, like like say Gabby does, and when you encounter her in the series at first, we have to stop them. We have to say, "What? Why do you want this? Why do you want to go down this road? What's the point?" And we have to really interrogate it. We have to really ask them, "What's the point in you wanting me to hate?" That person because they are a different skin color. What's the point in you wanting to hate that person because they're a different religion? Why are you afraid that someone will replace you? Do you even have any idea if they want to? Do you even do what you're afraid of being replaced? What's the point And then we'll have to commit to being strong enough to do the work of saying, No, like that none of that's true. You know You're right, Jews will not replace you. They don't have an interest in that. They just wanna live. You know being a lighter skin color doesn't make you better. Being a different religion doesn't make you better. There is no war on Christmas, you dumb fuck. Stop fighting. There's no point. You're not going to win. Because there would never, there is no win condition. The win condition is you live to fight again. This isn't Dragon Ball Z. Not a cartoon. It's reality the kind of pain that this fight will cause you may be you may be fine with that checkbook balance at the end but i guarantee you somebody else won't be and then they'll be after your head what then another fight again and again and again forever only hopeless because we make it that way. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this was because I started watching this because I had the epiphany of Attack on Titan is this big, glorious, very popular, massively popular thing, and I wanted to watch it because I felt I do this podcast, I, when we were allowed to do anime panels in public, I, and it was safe, I do panels in public, and it was a huge hole in my watch, in my watch history. So I made the attempt to go goddamn watch it. And then I kept watching it. And this is what it made me think about. This kind of endless cycle of war and carnage and hatred and, you know, grievances and all this shit. And the, and the obviousness to me in each, in the in these moments, yes, there are all these grievances. They don't really matter. Because if you die, then of course your grievance is resolved. You're dead. And, uh, like, what? It... And I, I will say I, I was, I was surprised at that. I didn't expect, the, knowing what I've heard about the author and like his tendencies towards authoritarianism, um, so at times, at least people believe, and knowing what I knew about my correct guesses about this show, I wasn't, I wasn't sure how it would go. And I will say I'm surprised. Like I said at the beginning, I was right about my initial. I was right about my initial guess about this show with extra depth, but I didn't expect it to have so much to say about specifically this the the cycles of war and how like how a nation built, how a nation like Marley built on conflict and war needs to fuel itself to fuel itself forward. And on that note, this is where I'm going to leave it because I'll just keep saying the same goddamn thing over and over again. Um, So if you like this episode, this was a long episode. It is two hours long Um, because Attack on Titan is a big thing with a very a very potent message to talk about and um, it's not done with us yet apparently um but on that note I I have been Alex coming at you from the perch. This has been Lunchbox Radio and new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Sunday is a more metatextual industry driven fandom driven style show where I talk about things that I think about um in terms of like the like whole of anime kind of and um certain shows are more like this, not quite as expansive and as like beat it into the back of your skull as this one was, but they're about a show, movie, or sometimes even occasionally a manga. Um That I find interesting and I find worth talking about. And on that note, I will talk to you on Sunday.